0: Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Hi FM. Great to be with you here this afternoon. I'm Rabbi Ari Kivman, and today we're going to take a look at the Torah portion of this week, as well as a significant event that's happening on the calendar this weekend. Saturday night, Sunday marks the 27th yard site, the Hilula of the Lubavitch who I was privileged as a child up until my bar mitzvah to be in the Rebbe's presence, to constantly be seeing and experiencing his ever-present inspiration. So I want to share with you a thought on the Parsha and to perhaps connect to the idea of what it really takes to become the spiritual leader of a generation. How do we know what are the characteristics of a Rebbe and why indeed in our generation we were so privileged to experience the Rebbe and how we know his influence is ever much here and he is so present in our lives till this very day. So let's begin by just exploring an aspect of the Parsha this week because it's a very interesting story, the portion of Korach tells us first about the mutiny, the rebellion against Moshe and Aaron's leadership, and then segues even after God proves that Moshe was the chosen, designated one by Hashem to be the leader of the Jewish people, we then proceed to read another fascinating story, the test of the staffs, which was conducted when there was more contest, more uh, more um, demonstrations against Aaron's leadership as the high priest. And so God instructed Moshe to take a staff from each tribe of Israel. And they each inscribed the name of their tribe's leader onto the staff. And on the tribe of Levi's staff was written Aaron's name. The staffs were placed overnight in the Kodesh Kadash, in the Holy of Holies, in the Mishkan and the Tabernacle, the Sanctuary. And when they were removed the following morning, the entire nation witnessed the miraculous blossoming of Aaron's staff that all of a sudden, out of just like that overnight, sprouted fruit. They grew almonds, which of course demonstrated that Aaron's staff, that Aaron was the one who was chosen by God for this position of leadership to be the High Priest. And this is what the Torah tells us. God instructed Moshe, take a staff from each of the tribe's leaders, each should write his name on his staff with the name of Aaron and the staff of Levi and the man who I should choose, his staff will blossom. And that's exactly what happened. Aaron's staff staff is the one that, that grew, that blossomed, that that became The one that was ripe with almonds in the morning. Now of course, one wonders, there are many methods available for God to prove who is the chosen one to be the leader of the Jewish people. Why of all methods available, did God choose this particular miracle of a blossoming staff in order to demonstrate Aaron's authenticity? What's the symbolism behind these staffs that it blossomed overnight? Why specifically did he take these dry sticks and this miracle of the sticks, the staffs, blossoming into almonds? Why didn't God make the miracle happen just to Aaron? Why did it have to compare it to all the other tribes? that Their sticks remained dead, dry, and only Aaron's, his blossomed. And Just to understand, after the dramatic story of Korach's rebellion, you would think that was there really anybody who needed any more evidence that Aaron was appointed by God Almighty himself? Why was it necessary for this miracle to prove to the people that indeed Aaron is the one who's chosen by God for this position as the high priest, the leader of the Jewish people. You think of the story where Korach and his rebellious faction contested Moshe's authority. And they fought against Aaron's position of leadership. They accused Moshe of nepotism. They rebelled against him. You think about this. Korach is preaching equality to all. It says, the whole nation, we're all holy. Well, at the same time, what does he want? He wants to usurp Aaron's position, and he wants to claim the high priesthood for himself. What happens? He and all of his henchmen, whole group, they all surrounded him and began to protest that they all want to be high priests. They all seek the glory, the prestige that accompanies the spiritual position of being the Kohen Gadol. And Moshe tries to reason with them, to negotiate. What could he do? Moshe attempts to to say, I'm not the one who put them in this position. It was Almighty God's choice. And what happens? Something that ironically occurred in Jerusalem this week, in a sense as well, where the earth opened up and swallowed Korach and his fellow rebels And at this time at this point, it seems clear to all that Karach was nothing more than a power-hungry rabble rouser, and Moshe was finally exonerated, was vindicated by God. The people had seen this awesome display of God's full and unconditional support for Moshe. There are few things I can imagine more convincing than the earth opening up and swallowing the opponents alive. And yet, if this wasn't enough to convince these troublemakers, these rebels, these wannabe high priests, then there's the story of the incense offering that also proved... So we have all the stories in our Parsha of complaints, of clutching, of haribels. Is there any clearer message that the people could get than one after another, God proving that this is the position that Aaron was chosen to, that he was qualified to be the leader, the kind Gadol, the high priest of the Jewish people. And the parsha continues, the tragedy after tragedy. So the the people actually are furious, but not with Korach, who is was manipulating, who is was instigating this troublemaking. The people are furious with Moshe and Aaron. They come to him with this preposterous charge that you, Moshe, that you killed the people of uh, these righteous, pious people. And what's Hashem's response? Sadly, our parsha we read about this widespread epidemic that Rampantly spreads. Ravaging the people who are accusing Moshe of killing Jews. And Moshe and Aaron, what do they do? They spring to the rescue. Aaron runs and uses the spiritual power of the Keturus, of the incense, to halt the plague. To stand between the dead and the living. And once again, very same rebel rousers, those dissenters against Moshe and Aaron, again they're punished. And Aaron's position again is divinely endorsed, is promoted? Is it not clear enough yet that God chose Aaron for this position? Think about that generation of Jews in the desert. They were, in fact, so deeply sensitive to the spiritual core of existence that rebellion against God, against the divine blueprint for life, the manual for healthy living which today perhaps would have gone unnoticed but for them being so spiritually sensitive as they were it translated into immediate disaster you know like uh perhaps somebody who's got a really healthy body the slightest deviation of a healthy nutritious diet is immediately felt by their by they they feel that goodness gracious you know uh, there was a doctor who passed away just a few weeks ago, a friend of mine, Dr. Yaakov, Yaakov tsror He was nearly 95 years old, incredible person. And he was actually telling me exactly that. He said that when a person is very healthy, and he was a person, although he was somewhat vegan, very health conscious, he said if he ever consumes a food that's unhealthy, his body feels it. And so perhaps you could say the Jews of that time that they were so spiritually in tune so spiritually sensitive that any deviation from what what's appropriate would immediately be felt in this way that resulted in disaster so here the story of our parsha the case of the high priesthood you would think it should have long been closed Did the people not learn lesson after lesson, disaster after disaster? And yet, first the swallowing, the opening of the ground, the big sinkhole. And then the burning of the incense. And the epidemic that came afterwards. You would think that should have validated Aaron's position. What happens next, with this miracle of the staffs, is baffling. Why was it necessary for another miracle to again validate his position as high priest? Was there really anybody, anyone who needed more evidence that Aaron was chosen by Almighty God? Who could have possibly still needed convincing? When all the rebels have been dealt a fatal blow in these tragic events that proved Aaron's leadership, was chosen by God. And so, we have to understand, this miracle of the sticks, it didn't come to prove necessarily who was the high priest. But rather it came to teach what is a high priest. God was showing the people using extraordinary memorable visual aids. It's like in our classes we do these days. You join me every morning here on Zoom. And PowerPoints and videos to illustrate, to demonstrate the points. God was using these visual aids to demonstrate what it means to be an authentic spiritual leader. And more than it came to prove the fact that Aaron was the one chosen by God, which was already obviously clear as night and day, as the Torah itself tells us, as Moshe said. But it came to show why Aaron was the one chosen and that's because his staff blossomed it produced fruits those are qualities of leadership which we have to understand now of course we could prove who's the leader by showing that absolute force but that's only going to settle the facts on the ground right it's not going to eliminate the anger that's felt by those rebel rousers who perhaps had valid reasons within themselves at least in their own mind and that's why it was necessary that it's not enough to prove that Aaron was the high priest chosen by God but what was necessary here what God was doing was demonstrating and explaining why Aaron was the one chosen for this position and the miracle of the staffs that we read in our Parsha is what illustrated that what's a staff a staff is a branch that's dis- disconnected from a tree. It's dry. It's dead. You know, in the good old days before being separated from its roots, while it's still attached to the tree, think of the branch. It grew, it produced leaves, it was full of sap, vitality. It had life to it, but now it became detached from its roots. The branch, the staff is dry, it's lifeless, it's stagnant. And guess what? The primary quality of a kind gadol, of a high priest, of a man of God, of a spiritual leader, is to bring life to the lifeless. How do you determine who is the individual in a generation chosen by Almighty God to be the high priest? To be the ambassador of God to sow the light of holiness into the hearts and souls of humanity. How do you discover the person who's designated by God to show humanity how to integrate heaven and earth? How to transcend our outer crust and touch the divine that's within each of us. That's within the cosmos. You search for that human being in whose presence these dry staffs are transformed into orchards. Someone who's able to take lifeless sticks and just like that, they're able to become beautiful gardens, dry rods, become generators of growth and vitality. The individual is blessed with that ability to create life out of that which appears lifeless. That is the person chosen by God to be the high priest. And yes, my friends, each generation, we are told by the sages, the Talmud tells us that every single generation has its great shepherds, the leaders who are able to take us, who are able to transform the dry lifeless and to bring life into the world. And how do you know how to find such a leader? Well, Hashem told Moshe in our Parsha, his staff will blossom. Look for the person in whose hands a lifeless staff becomes a beautiful garden. And then you found the Kohen Gadol, the great leader of your generation. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi, FM. I'm Rabbi Eric Great to be with you here this afternoon and today we were discussing the almond flourishing, blossoming on Aaron's staff and the story in our portion, the Parsha of Korach. What's interesting is though that it's not only in our Parsha where we see a story of a tree, of a branch blossoming into almonds. There's another story. In the Torah a story, in the prophecy of Jeremiah, and there we see that the prophet Jeremiah was one of the greatest, the most tragic prophets of Israel. When he went on to to predict and to actually witness the destruction of the first Beis Hamikdash, which was destroyed by the hands of the Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar, at that stage, the books. That he wrote about what was going on at the time. For example, he wrote Eicha, which is which is uh, lamentations, and even the the prophecies that we read in the book of Yirmiyahu. They're scorching, heart wrenching stories. And God's first prophecy to Yirmiyahu was again the almonds, and. What does it focus on? Starts off with those very words where God says to the prophet Jeremiah about the, the very, very beginning in the prophecy. In fact, it's my son's Haftarah coming up in a couple of weeks for his bar mitzvah. So it's quite pertinent that it comes to mind that I've been reading and studying about it now, which is uh, interesting. It says, The word of God came to me. Ma what do you see, Jeremiah? God asks. Va'omar, I replied, makel shoked ani roya. I see a staff of an almond tree. God said to me, he tafta lirois ki shoked ani You have seen well, and you have seen good, and God is going to fulfill His words. What was the significance of this? almond tree, the almond twig that Jeremiah saw. So Rashi in a fascinating botanic insight explains that it actually takes three weeks 21 days for an almond to grow from the flower to full fruit. And it took exactly three weeks from the day that the walls of Jerusalem were breached by the Milchanetzar on Shiva Asar Tamas, the 17th of Tamas until the temple was destroyed, burnt in flames on tishabav the ninth of Av, which is exactly three weeks later. Of course, we know that that period is commemorated as the three weeks, very sad time on our calendar, which our sages say is hinted, is hinted at in the, in the amount of time that the almond tree took, takes to grow. But if it's just the three-week connection then why the need for hinting to an almond, right? God could have told Jeremiah, it will take three weeks, temple will be destroyed after the walls of Jerusalem were breached by Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, there has to be a message that the almond is conveying. And so, I need to share with you this fascinating insight that indeed there are two types of almonds. There are sweet almonds and there are bitter ones. Now the flavor of a sweet almond is, it's delicate, it's nice, it's charming. We like to, to buy those in the service stations when we're filling up petrol in our car, right? You could get them wherever you want. And we like to use them. I could tell you that I prefer almond milk over ordinary lactose milk. We prefer almond, we like to use that, especially in Chabad circles when Pesach comes around and we can't use matzah meal considered Gebrach on Pesach so instead we use the almond flour and it's wonderful, it really adds flavor and helps us cook with it, bake with it but then there's another type of almond and that is the almond which actually is quite lethal when it's raw it's the acid's toxicity is destroyed when the nuts are heated. And actually, I don't think you could buy those bitter almonds anywhere. Now, one of the differences between these two types of almonds is their qualities. Right? The bitter almonds are usually sweet when they're small and have just begun to grow. But these same almonds become bitter When they're left on the tree to fully ripen. With the sweet almond, it's just the opposite. They're bitter when they're small, but they turn sweet when they're fully ripe. Now this contrast, this paradox, actually captures in a very vivid way the difference between, in life, conflict and peace. Think about it. When a conflict, a faribble begins, takes off, whatever it might be, a family favorable, a dispute in the community, people having some quarrel in shul, you know, within an organization, sometimes differences of opinion. There's a certain excitement that begins, right? It gives people what to talk about. It allows people to feel needed. They're taking a side. I'm on this side of the dispute. He's on the other side. You know, some people feel idealistic. They feel like heroes fighting for a cause, it gives an outlet to some of the most basic human instincts and that's where you get aggression, power, animosity, egotism, just like the bitter almond of a ribble it can be sweet and charming in the beginning when it's still small and unnoticeable. People think they're doing something so noble, taking a side at the right side, I'm on the right side of the situation. But just as is the case of the bitter almonds, when the conflict proceeds, if it persists and grows, as more people become involved, as more people get hurt, as families and children sadly get scathed, the clash becomes bitter. And as in the case of bitter almonds, it can become lethal and destructive psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, sometimes sadly, even physically. Conflict is like those almonds that start out sweet, but eventually turn bitter. At the end of a fight, everyone's hurt. There's nothing good about a fight. And we've seen this sadly very many times. So many disputes and battles, family feuds and community Struggles. The beginning, some people tend to see the fighting as interesting, as exciting, as a there's some purpose. But at the end, everyone's hurting. Peace, on the other hand. Shalom. There's no greater gift in this world than peace. It's the opposite. Making peace between warring factions is usually difficult. It's bitter. Both sides have to compromise. have to bury the hatchet. It's never easy. It's always hard to say I'm sorry. It's hard to forgive perceived or even more so actual wrongs. It's difficult to yield control and ideology. It's bitter. But once the peace is established, things turn out to be sweet and delicious in the end. In the short term, it might be bitter and difficult. But in the long term, everyone wins. I was involved with a Family recently, we were talking about who to invite to their family Simcha. And the mother mentioned she's got a sister. And I said, why don't you invite her? Should she should be part of it. Nah, no, we haven't been talking for many years, fighting over a family estate, a will. And we discussed it. And I I just tried to encourage that they invite. She invites her sister to her family Simcha. It was difficult. They haven't spoken in many years. But lucky she did. Sadly, the sister was very ill, unbeknownst to her, and she felt rewelcomed into the family. Despite their past differences, whether genuine or not, whether perceived or sincere, but at least they got back together. And the sister, who recently passed away, was at least reconnected with her family for her final few months. This was the symbolism of the Almonds and Aaron's staff. We talked about two aspects about them. One is the idea where Korach created this rebellion. There was this cause of trying to delegitimize Moshe and Aaron's leadership. The staff with the Almonds was giving the people a lesson for history. Life is like an almond things that seem sweet in the beginning like faribals, like conflict, they could turn out sadly very bitter at the end. On the other hand, things like peace that may be difficult and bitter in the beginning, they turn out to be nothing but delicious and enjoyable in the end. And with this hopefully we can understand why the almond staff also served as the opening vision of the Prophet. Jeremiah Jeremiah was the bitter prophet right the very same Jeremiah means the bitterness of God unlike the other prophets think about Icheskel or Amos most of Jeremiah's prophecies during his time he prophesizes the horrors, the destruction of the temple, the horrific agony and suffering that the Jewish people would endure. The book of Yirmiyahu is, it's graphic in its descriptions of Jewish suffering. It's very sad. And he himself suffered miserably. He was hunted down by his own brothers. The Jewish people saw him as a traitor. They tried to murder him. He lived... Through the difficulty, through the last six kings of the Jewish nation at the time. And yet, he gives the bitter prophecy, prophesizing, telling us his first and opening vision was that of an almond, was an introduction and foundation to all of his other prophecies. The almond may be very bitter at its, at the beginning. But with time, it would be transformed into sweetness. And similarly, in that sense, the exile, the destruction, the difficulties the Jewish people endured, the struggles and challenges they experienced at the time, it certainly was very bitter. But those bitter almonds would turn sweet, would be delicious one day. Because it's very, this very same prophet Yermiyahu also finally tells us how eventually things will transform, things will become better, the temple would be rebuilt, and we'll see better times in the future. Like an almond. And in a sense, this was the message of Aaron's staff and of Jeremiah's staff, why they transformed to almonds. The role of a kohen gadol, of a high priest, of a prophet, of a leader of the people, sometimes indeed they have to instruct, rebuke, sometimes they have to say words that are hard for people to swallow. But more than that, they're there to give us hope. To show people how they could take the bitterness of their almonds and transform them into sweetness. How they could define their challenges into opportunities. Their crisis can be springboards for growth. The darkness can become new and intense forms of light. And since everything we know comes from God, we realize that there's meaning and opportunity in every moment, in every experience and encounter. And though the meaning might be trapped in a heavy shell of adversity and pain, but we're empowered, each of us, to take hold of the bitter almonds of life. The world is going through a difficult time right now as we speak. Look how many burials this week of COVID-19 Patience, sadly, from our community. And yet we have to look ahead as Jeremiah, although he starts off talking about the sadness, he sees also the opportunity for growth. As Aaron's staff was lifeless, he demonstrated to us a coming gadol, a true Jewish leader's one who could bring life to the dead. That's the era of Mashiach, Tchia Sameism, will experience the resurrection. And in our lifetime, we've already ex- began to experience that. Think about the greatest tragedy of our times. I think of my own father who lived through the Holocaust, how the Jewish world appeared like a lifeless staff after that, mounds and mounds of ashes. The only remains of our six million brothers and sisters. To think about that. Ashes. Think about that number six million. Could we even wrap our brain around that mind staggering number? Here was our nation. A third of us decimated, eliminated, gone. We were just a nation crushed beyond words. What seemed to so many that we were just lifeless beyond hope. Was there any future for Yiddishkeit? Never had Judaism's everlasting light come so close to extinction like that. We were were nearly extinguished, completely eliminated, annihilated. The Shoah destroyed the core of Jewish life. Men, women and children who were the most vibrant animated elements of our people. And there, just like that in a Holocaust, an entire world went up in smoke. But what happened next? What happened afterwards? Where did we go from there? A handful of Holocaust survivors and refugees set out to be building a new soil, a world that they themselves had seen go up in smoke in Auschwitz and Treblinka in Dachau and Birkenau. And if I think of the Rebbe, whose yard site we commemorate this weekend, 27 years, I remember that day like yesterday, the third of Tamas in 1994. And yet, the Rebbe as well as other great Jewish leaders, refused to yield, to despair, to give up, God forbid. While indeed some others responded to the Holocaust by building memorials, by perhaps having lectures or museums or other types of wonderful ways to commemorate the Holocaust and to remember those who sadly their lives were lost. But the Rebbe, He sent his shluchim all over the world. The Rebbe urged every single person that he could touch to bring the dead sticks back to life. He encouraged people to marry, to have lots of children. The Rebbe sent his shluchim as emissaries all over the world to build schools and shuls, to build communities and yeshivas. He encouraged and inspired countless Jewish people to do exactly that. Earlier today I was reading the encounters between the Rav, Rabbi Yosef Dov Soloveitchik, who was the Rebbe's colleague. Together they studied in Berlin during the 1920s. Just his, his tribute of how the Rebbe transformed the dead to life. The Rebbe opened his heart to an orphan generation. He gave us hope. He showed us a vision. He demonstrated determination. The Rebbe certainly became the most well-known address for countless activists, for rabbis, for prime ministers, for politicians, for philanthropists, for leaders, for influential people, for laymen and women from all walks of life. For Jew and non-Jew, the Rebbe gave the courage, the confidence to reconstruct a shattered universe. The Rebbe did so with passion, with enthusiasm, with gusto. His message was that our world has been shattered, but it's not destroyed. His mission statement, Hitler brought death into the world, let's reverse it. Let's bring life. Let's show the beauty, the warmth, the pride of Yiddishkeit. That was the Rebbe's message to the world. The Rebbe saw how the almonds can show the destruction of the temple, like Jeremiah first saw the bitterness, but also the bright future that lies ahead. Like Aaron, a Cohen of his time, the Rebbe demonstrated how lifeless branches, how the staff can be, dem- can be transformed into life. And that I think is a very powerful message that each of us can take from our Parsha this week. That indeed we go through difficult times, we go through struggles and challenges. You visit a patient in the hospital or as a paramedic when I put the ECG monitor on a patient and we see that the heart monitor is showing us the ups and downs if we have a flat line our patient's dead but the world was not flat the world was not dead it may have been shattered and destroyed but there's still hope and so our think as our sages tell us that Aram was an Ayev Shalom of Shalom Aram was a pursuer of peace he brought back many Jews from a life of sin to a life of purity Aaron was the first one in Jewish history to make the Balei Tshuvah, to inspire Jews to re-embrace their heritage, their faith, their inner calling. But unlike today, during Aaron's times, to be a sinner, you had to be a real no-goodnik. Because the Jews of his generation, they saw God in its full glory. To rebel against the Torah way of life was a sign of true betrayal, of carelessness, of recklessness. How did Aaron do it? That was Aaron's unique characteristic, of greeting each person warmly, regardless who a person was. The per- in Perkyavas per- read Aaron was Ayav shalom shalom. He Ayav He loved all people, umekarva the Torah, and brought all people close to the Torah. Aaron was a leader. He was the high priest of his time because even his staff blossomed. He was able to bring life to the dead. He never gave up on the dried out sticks. He never looked at someone and said, this person's a lost cause. He's completely cut off from this tree. Never saw one as dry, as brittle, as lifeless. For Aaron, even dry sticks would blossom and produce fruits. And this is what I believe the Rebbe did. The Rebbe brought that love, that beauty of Yiddishkeit to the world. And this is what he wanted us to emulate. And certainly on this weekend when we commemorate the Rebbe's 27th yard site, we certainly take that message to life. We'll continue with final thoughts just now. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM I'm Rabbi Ari Keevman. and today we're talking about the peculiar very interesting enigmatic story in our Torah portion about Aaron's staff that had grown almonds and we also compared it to Jeremiah's vision as a prophet where he saw almonds on a stick and we wonder what's the secret of the almond. and two ideas that we discussed about the almonds was firstly in the Parsha this week when it's taking Dead, detached sticks that are lifeless. And they blossomed and sprouted life. And that indeed is a very profound message and relevant this weekend as we commemorate the 27th Yortzite of the Rebbe. The qualities of leadership that the Rebbe demonstrated and lived by and encouraged each of us to do the same is to bring life to the lifeless. To put a smile on the faces of those who are downtrodden, lugubrious, melancholy, morose, There are so many these days, sadly, who are depressed, people who are isolated. And this is what we at Chabaraz strive to do every single day. Our seniors' programs are multifaceted and still going ever stronger than before. Our virtual classes attract many, many participants on Zoom, Facebook Live, on YouTube. And, of course, we have our daily phone calls reaching out to, expressing care and love, to those who are isolated and alone. We have over 800 seniors on our list, and if you wanna nominate any other senior that should be included on this list, or if you wanna be a volunteer, calling seniors, reaching out to them, you could join us in that effort, and our effort is three-pronged. You could join by making phone calls, having a conversation, we'll give you a few people to reach out to each week, or you could become a volunteer who visits seniors on a Friday. We have so many on our list, And so many seniors want that personal interaction. We could give you a treat, chalas, and a snack as well as food for thought to bring to the seniors you visit. But more important than what you bring is the time you spend with them, even if it's just two minutes, three, four, five minutes of that personal interaction in a COVID-safe way. And of course, we also distribute hundreds of food parcels each week to many seniors who require that. We are helping seniors with registering for receiving their COVID vaccine. This is the idea of bringing life to those who sadly are lacking it at the moment. That's the idea that the Rebbe taught us to see the potential in every single person in the entire world. The Rebbe's first Discourse that he taught Bassi Legani when he ascended to the mantle, the leadership of the Chabad movement was about seeing this world as a garden. Not to see the jungle that we oftentimes perceive this world as, but instead to see the potential that this world has, which is a beautiful blossoming garden of Hashem. And this we see in the Parsha this week of how. Aaron's staff blossomed, how the dead sticks turned into life by growing those almonds. And we also spoke about the prophet Jeremiah and how the different types of almonds that exist and that also represents the uniqueness of The leadership qualities that despite the tragedies, despite the Holocaust and all the struggles and challenges of life, one can see the potential of a bitter almond turning into something that has the potential to be so sweet and to enjoy. This, my friends, is the message I think we could all take from this week's Parsha, a very profound And powerful message, the idea, remember God said to Jeremiah, what do you see, Yermiyahu? And he said, I see a staff of an almond tree. And God see, God says, you have seen well, you have seen good. What's the meaning you've seen well? Right? What's the difficulty in seeing the staff of an almond tree? But rather perhaps God was telling him, is what you're seeing is the potential. Yes, right now it might be bitter, but there's great potential for this jungle of a world to become a garden. For lifeless people to be filled with life. For you to bring joy to those who unfortunately are isolated. And this of course is a message to each and every single one of us. How are we going to bring the sweetness to those who are bitter? The life to those who are lifeless? If we could learn from what the Rebbe taught us. The Rebbe showed us how the world which was Indeed, reeling from a holocaust, from sadness, could become filled, could blossom like a garden. And the Rebbe never stopped to, to focus on that with passion, with enthusiasm, with excitement. Despite the farribbles and the divisions we have in the community, the, despite all of our differences. The Rebbe was a symbol of hope, of renaissance, after the most bitter, calamities the world has seen, and the Rebbe persevered in that message. He showed a generation how to transform that bitter almonds into sweetness. And so, my friends, each of us can do the same. Each of us has to do what we can to transform this world from the struggles and challenges of the current era of COVID-19 and transform it into the potential good to see that we didn't waste the opportunity that came our way, but rather we seized the opportunity. And indeed, there's so much kindness going on. Each one of us can be part of that. And so just as the Rebbe, who dedicated his mind, his heart, his soul, to bringing that joy to the world. The Rebbe's focus on a brighter future, the era of Mashiach. For him, all the bitter almonds were a prelude to the ultimate redemption, when peace and harmony will saturate the world. The Rebbe saw all those struggles and challenges, the Holocaust, as one long journey, as a march towards redemption. He didn't take his eyes off of the goal of the potential that this world had. Just like Jeremiah, although he saw the sadness, he also prophesied a much greater and brighter future. My friends, each of us, we need to see the great future that lies ahead. Indeed, the sadness of the world will be sweet and all of the lifeless will become filled with life. So if we look back at the story in our parsha, and we see that Aaron Hakohen, the qualities of leadership that he had that it wasn't about me being in the driver's seat but rather caring for all those in his time we too should do the same. Let's care for those in our generation there are so many today that need our love, our care our concern and you can get involved in that in any way Come join us here at Chabad. Join our activities. You could bring life to those who so need it. I wish you all a fabulous, meaningful and life-filled Shabbos. And as we commemorate the Rebbe's Ziorzeit, let's remember to follow in his ways and to bring into actuality that which he dreamed of, the world, the era of Mashiach. Let's make it happen because we all know Our fathers wanted it to happen. Their parents wanted it to happen. For generations, we've been waiting for it to happen. But now, finally, it's up to each of us. We will make it happen. Let's do it. Let's do it now. Let's bring redemption to the world. Let's bring joy to those who need it. And life to all those around us. Good Shabbos. Carpe Diem. Seize this moment. Let's make it happen.